Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hey, everybody. This is Brian. I'm back to, with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I want to welcome to a special guest. His name is Pastor John Burke. Uh, if you've been with us, if you've been with me for some time, you might remember my conversation with him from a couple of years ago. If you haven't, if you don't remember it, or if you're new, go back to August of 2021. And I had a great conversation with uh, Pastor Burke then. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Imagine Heaven. And um, I want you to, like I said, go back and look at that episode if you haven't heard it before. But he's also written uh, works including No Perfect People Allowed, Soul Revolution, and Unshockable Love. And they've reached hearts all around the world. Uh, Pastor Burke, together with White Catholic, is the spirit behind the Gateway, Austin, the Gateway Church in Austin, Texas, which is a spiritual haven for a countless number of souls. He's an international speaker, and his message of spiritual enlightenment has, has spanned 30 different countries. Today, I'm going to talk to Pastor Burke about his newest work, which is called Imagine the God of Heaven. And the subtitle is God's Revelation and the Love You've Always Wanted. And the subtitle actually leads me into my first question, because I thought that was really, really caught my eye when I heard when I heard that or, or my, caught my ear when I heard that. So, Pastor Burke, can you can you um, expand on the God, um, the love that we've always wanted and why we always feel why we feel that way? Well, first, Brian, call me John. Okay. <laughs> I'm more comfortable with that. Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Our church is very casual. We say, come as you are. And and so I don't like the titles, but that's all right. Hey, cool. I understand. Um, so, so you forgot one thing in the subtitle, near-death experiences, God's revelation, and the love you've always wanted. Yes, yes. So, what? no, it's all right. I, it's just, it's an important part because as you, as you know, it's, it's, it's my story. Um, really from from grief to growth and my father passing away when you know three decades ago mm-hmm. someone gave him the very first book very first study on near-death experiences and I read it and I was an agnostic and that set me on a journey because it, it, I was an engineer like like you so mm-hmm. very analytical skeptical but to me this was like maybe there's actual some evidence that this is real. And, and so I've studied thousands of them now over, over the last 30 years. And this, this new book, Imagine the God of Heaven, is, is taking a look at, I, I've got 70 people in this book from all around the world who not only have a near-death experience, and I've, you've covered those before, so your audience is probably fairly familiar with them. Yeah, I'd say they are, but we might as well, we could go over a little bit for people that might be new. Yeah, because I mean that's really important. Is uh, sure. you know what convinced me, and and what convinced many skeptical um, cardiologists, on oncologists, other doctors, 
is when people die, when they clinically die, their heart stops beating, brain waves cease, and yet they're resuscitated. Many come back saying that they experienced something of a life to come that was more real than this life ever was. And there are commonalities. And, and I've traced about 40 commonalities. There are probably more, but I traced 40 commonalities in the book Imagine Heaven that then I was tying to how, how that shows up in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. In Imagine the God of Heaven, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm looking at people from all over the globe who not only have that as a commonality, but they have experienced this God of light and love who is more personal than they could have ever imagined, who loves them with, quite honestly, a love that uh, hyperbole is all they can do to try to express it. And, um, and, and in this God's presence, they never want to leave. And so in, in, the, in the book, Imagine the God of Heaven, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm showing through the eyes of these 70 people how, uh, how this God has been revealing himself through history his heart, his characteristics, his great love story that he's been revealing through history and how that's what these people are confirming. And it doesn't matter their religious background, their culture. Uh, many times what, what they would have expected is not what they found, but what they found they never wanted to leave. It was the love they have always wanted. Yeah. So why do you think that that resonates with us so much that that love that we've always wanted? Do you feel like people are missing that here? Or what do you what's the reason for that? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, and and that's actually that's actually part of the the second part of the book is it's, it's really about God's great love story revealed throughout the scriptures. And that often gets missed. Um, you know, in, in the Bible, it starts with people in relationship with God in very close relationship with God. But then throughout the story, there's rejection, there's betrayal, there's uh, divorce, there's reconciliation, there's sacrifice to try to win back the beloved. Um, there are all these metaphors of relationship that God likens what he wants with humanity mm-hmm. to. And then the whole thing ends in the book of Revelation with this great wedding. Which, which is kind of bizarre if you think like it's, that's pretty mysterious. Like what? Mm-hmm. But if you miss the meta narrative of, of the whole story, I think you miss a lot of why God does the things he does or doesn't. And, and, and the main thing is that love can't be bought. It can't be forced or coerced. It can't be manipulated. It has to be free. Mm. And so if God created us for a love relationship first with himself and then with each other, then what's missing on the planet is the first love. And that's exactly what Moses said, what God said to Moses, what Jesus reiterated, that love God first, first and greatest commandment. Second is love your neighbor as much as you do yourself. Do those two and you fulfill all the all the scriptures. All the commands of scripture are wrapped up in those two. And, and so, yeah, I think part of the story of humanity and human life is that we're here learning um, about free will and love and choosing to choose God. 
and then choosing to let the love of God flow through us to to others as well. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of the commonalities of near-death experiences, of course, all around the world in the presence of this God of light, who is love, uh, who, who knows them so intimately, they often get a life review, right? And in that, in that life review, they, they re-experience. So that's another commonality is time. You know, I, I kind of think time probably works in two dimensions or maybe three. It's not our linear one-dimensional timeline. And so they can re-experience their lives in the presence of this God. And he's showing them, they come back with two things. One, God is love. And secondly, what he cares most about is how we treat one another. And that's what he was showing them again and again. Hmm. Like the ripple effect, like um, uh, Dr. Mary Neal, who I was just recently with. um, Have you had her on your show before? I have not had her on my show, but I have met her. Yeah. Sweet, wonderful person. She's a spine surgeon, um, very analytical person as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in in Jesus' presence, he gives her a life review, and he shows her the ripple effect of every little kind action and how God used even the things that she thought were bad in, in her life. He he showed her how 20 people, 25, 30 people away, he was that that was still having a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. So um when we talk about the word God, we use the word God, it's a it's a loaded word for a lot of people. Yeah, I know. And I've noticed <laughs> in this community, in the in the afterlife community, a lot of times, you know, some people shy away from it. I've heard some people who've had near-death experiences say I, and I don't know if I want to use that word. So what is, what's your experience with the word God and how should we relate to that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there's, I think there's been a lot of damage done um, with misinformation about God. And, and honestly, what I'm, what I'm trying, what I'm trying to do and imagine the God of heaven is show one, just like, if you really understand who this God is that all these people are encountering, you would want to seek him. That's it. Yeah. But the other thing I'm trying to show is he didn't just show up in the age of near-death experiences. So I'm tracing what what actually convinced me as a skeptical engineer before um, even before the the evidence of of near death experiences, which I think scientifically, you know, there, uh, a scientific principle is that what is consistently observed is real. Mm. So if you have millions of people around the globe, and I've personally studied thousands of them, my friend Dr. Jeffrey Long has got a database of five thousand now. Um, that he studied. I mean, there have been many studies. There have been 900 scholarly peer review articles published on this, like in the Journal of the American Medical Association and The Lancet and Psychiatry. And so there's all this evidence. And then if you look at the fact that close to 50% of them experience who they know is God, and and most of them don't shy away from calling him that. They're like, I knew. There was mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind. This mm-hmm. was my creator. This is who made me. Mm-hmm. And yet that's that's consistent all around the globe. 
the the being they're describing is consistent. And so that should tell us something. Like that's a lot of data. And and if that if it were that alone, you know, in 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 chapter two of Imagine the God of Heaven, you know, there have been a lot of alternate explanations of near-death experiences, right? Um, maybe it's hypoxia. It's like the brain suffering from oxygen deprivation, or maybe it's the same thing, you know, like DMT or ayahuasca produces the same, the same things. I've heard, you know, all these, or, um, well, what about the effects of, of, of drugs in the hospital and all that? So I go through 10 points of evidence that any alternative theory has to, has to make sense of, because what I find is, of all these alternative theories, they're they're taking one thing and saying, well, see, like, you know, DMT. Well, yeah, there, you know, there's there there's the experience of these wild colors and connectedness to everything. And, you know, sometimes maybe you're traveling or a tunnel or something like that. Well, yeah, but that doesn't make sense of um, veretical observations. Right. So when people have near-death experiences and they're out of their bodies, they say many times they're still in the room up above in a spiritual body watching their resuscitation. Mm-hmm. And there have been studies done where they've come back and 92% of the, the many observations that these many patients that were studied made, 92% were completely accurate of the things they said were happening in the room while they had no brain waves. Right. 96, you know, uh, 6% more, there were some things, some some of the observations they made were not completely accurate. Only 2% uh, were inaccurate. Well, that's, that's high correlation. Right. Like, how do you make sense of that? Second, blind people see when they have a near-death experience and they come back and they're still blind. And yet they said the same things. They had the same experience and even talked about things that um, they they shouldn't have known. Like they saw things in their life review, for instance, that when they came back, they were able to describe, but they couldn't have seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, third, you have uh, these overlapping commonalities, but they're not all the same. So like I said, there are like 40 commonalities, right? And if it were just a brain-based thing, then um, everyone would probably have all the same commonalities, but they don't. They're percentages of overlap, which if, you know, if you're, if you're in a court of law and you have 10 eyewitnesses who all say exactly the same thing, that's collusion. That's sketchy because like they talked. Right. But if you have 10 people who say mostly the same things and they overlap, but they're all a bit unique from different perspectives, that's very strong testimony. That's what we see with these NDEs. And then, you know, the other one is how do you explain people from all different religions seeing the same God? And that that shouldn't happen because they weren't necessarily ex- experiencing that. And, and there are other reasons I go into, but those are just some. Mm-hmm. Um, that that convinced me, like, no, th- this is something real. Mm-hmm. We're getting we're getting these observations that, again, you know, what's consistently observed is real. Yeah. So there's something real here. And, and I'm really glad that you went through that because I find so many people do not understand what you just talked about. That there is 
there is evidence. There's there's veridical evidence from a lot of these NDEs. People from all across the world are having similar experiences um, because and the explanations that materialists come up with, like oxygen deprivation or a dump of DMT to the brain, they they don't they don't explain all of that. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you go into that in the book for people that are still skeptical about the whole experience itself. Yeah. When it comes to people meeting God, um, what would you say is a general way that people describe God? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. Well, some, you know, some see him as a brilliant light, bright, they, they consistently say brighter than the sun, but easy to look at. And they say things like, I, I knew this should just burn my eyes out, mm. but it didn't. In fact, I, I was mesmerized and in his presence. So this, I love the way this one, he, um, you know, that's the other thing about this, Brian is like, uh, the people that I've interviewed, they're, they're like psychiatrists, uh, you know, doctors, commercial airline pilots, um, nurses. I mean, these, these are, these are people who have a lot to lose by saying crazy stuff. Yeah. Right. And yet they are. <laughs> um, and like this, this one guy, uh, who, um, his name is, is Ron, Dr. Ron Smotherman. He's a neurologist and a psychiatrist. And it's a wild story. He, um, he was living in San Francisco, let a, let a guy um, stay in his house while he was gone. He was doing lectures around the world. When he came back, the guy had a psychotic break and started stabbing him, stabbed him 13 times, once through the neck that doctor said he absolutely should not have survived. He showed showed me the the scars. And um, um, on the... (laughs) As, as the 14th was coming for his heart, he said, time froze. And suddenly appears like instantly before him, this, this brilliant light standing there that he knew, again, was divine. He knew this was God. Didn't have any, they don't have any doubt um, of who this is. They have a, a, an honest experience. But he said, imagine standing five feet away from the, the, the point of impact of an atomic explosion. He said that was the energy roiling. This light was just roiling with energy. And, he, and then he said, but, but the energy, what was roiling even more was love. And then he lost it, <laughs> telling me this. He said, he said I'm, I'm sorry. It's just like, and, and that's the other thing is that this memory for them is not up here in the brain. It's it's somewhere in their soul and they relive it as if it were today and it just overwhelms their emotions mm-hmm. because the love is so great. And so he said, 
instantly he was imprinted with with these qualities. And and that's what part of what I'm trying to show and imagine the God of heaven is the qualities, Mm -hmm. the heart of God. So he said, infinite love, but also instantly infinite knowledge. He said, it's like I had a picture of, of a library, but the books filled the universe and he wrote them all. Hmm. And he said, power that was indisputable. You know, what's fascinating about the power is I had another, a a commercial airline pilot who is uh, flying into like, like an airborne coming into the city of God. Okay. Which ironically, we'll have to come back to, I have an Indian man who had never read the Bible taken by this God of light. And he describes this same city of God. Hmm. Hmm. So we can come back to that. But yeah. but both of these guys, this commercial airline pilot and this uh, neurologist psychologist said, when I saw that light, it was like the very instant uh, an, a, a nuclear explosion goes off. The, the whiteness of that and the, the brilliance of that. And yet you could look right into it. Hmm. So power, he said, that's indisputable. Authority is another thing he said. He said, like, you know, you you didn't have any questions. He knew, and he knew the right thing, and you wanted to do whatever he, he said. Hmm. Humor was another one. And this is one I bring out in, in the whole last section of Imagine the God of Heaven. There are things about God. I I think I think all of us, me included, we put God in a box. And 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 some of us put him in a box where we we don't realize how great. How magnificent, how how otherworldly and mysterious and in control and sovereign, all those words you want to use, but others put them in a box and we don't imagine how personable, how relatable, how even humorous and fun and funny. And some people like they can't go there. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to help people do is stretch your box and see that God is the that relationship. And so humor was one of the things he said, and many of them said that they had so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, joy was another thing. And, and, and this is an interesting one because he said the joy was like, you wish you could be that happy. And this is God, that he's that joyful. He said, but just experiencing that joy, he said, put me in ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a wild thing, Brian. And I, you know, I went there, but I had multiple people that I interviewed of these 70 people in Imagine the God of Heaven say things like that. Mm-hmm. Like in his presence, I was like beyond anything I've ever experienced on earth. And I and I said, You mean even like better than sex? They're like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You name it. There's no high, there's no, there's no nothing. Which, you know, some people like, no way. But stretch your categories, you know, look at the look at the evidence. Because what I'm also showing is I'm showing that this is not new. This is what God's been revealing about himself all along. Joy is what he wants because it's 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 his it's his mainstay. Hmm. Right? That's C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, um, you know, who was a, a literary scholar. Yeah. Uh, says joy is the serious business of heaven. Yeah. And it's true. 
Another thing that, that Ron, uh, this, this guy said is purity. And I, I asked him to explain it. And I think it's when, when, when religious people use the word holy, I think, I think it's the same thing. He said he was just so pure, so innocent. And he said, but knowledgeable. So not, not innocent, like naive, Mm -hmm. but just pure. And he said, what, what it did is it stood in stark relief to me. And, and, and then he said one other thing he said, and humble. And when he said this, he said, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a neurologist, psychiatrist. I've written books. I've traveled the world, you know, uh, I I have been proud. He has real reasons to be proud, and yet he was so humble. And and again, it brought him to tears just remembering it. And and we don't. It's hard for us to put all that into one being, right? Right. And yet, that I that's what I think is important to do to more accurately because we'll never fully imagine God. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> Excuse me. I think um, as you were saying that, you know, people, I think the reason why we have trouble with the word God is because, as you mentioned, we put God in a box. And a lot of us were, were raised with a God who was less than all of that. And probably the last thing we envisioned God or, or maybe people who misrepresented oh absolutely what god's actually like absolutely that's what i mean that's what i mean people people representing god in in a certain way um i even to this day i i go back and forth with people who are representing the bible for example a certain way and says the bible says this and it's like and does it really you know um well and and again think about it this way so the bible says a lot of things mm mm-hmm and it honestly depends on the framework through which I'm reading the whole thing, right? Yeah, exactly right. So, so if the framework through which I'm reading the whole thing is what is right and what is wrong, and I'm doing right and you're doing wrong, and that's the framework, and that's what matters most, it's going to be a hammer. Yes. But that's actually not the framework Jesus told us to use. We already talked about it. Mm-hmm. If you love God with all your heart, and if you love people and and yourself, you know, mm-hmm. if you, if you don't love yourself, you're not going to love people. So it's it's a both and. It's learning to it's learning to recognize. Um, you know, this is another cool thing of many of these stories is they say in God's presence, and I have I have three people in the book saying the same thing, and one was for, one was an agnostic. Uh, who who literally I, I I tease him. You beat the thief next to Jesus for last minute crying out to God because he had never prayed, never thought about God. But literally, as he's dying of an opioid overdose, before his head hits the steering wheel, he says, "God, forgive me." Hmm. And he and these these others. Um, and and the reason I point that out is just because this is not what they would have expected. Mm-hmm. Because God was good. Like he didn't, he didn't require him to have done all the right things. All he required is their heart turning to him. Hmm. Because that's the point. Love. And he can't force love. So, so the the thing Jesus said is love God, love people. That's the framework through which we've got to also read the Bible and understand 
what all that means. So it doesn't mean the command to not lie is wrong. It means it's not loving. Right. Right. And, and, but if someone does lie, well, do you just beat them down and tell them how horrible they are and they're worthless people because they did that and treat them like that? Well, that's not loving. So anyway. I'm yeah, wrong. no, that's that's a really good point. You you mentioned the agnostic man. You also mentioned an Indian man who saw the city of God. So that comes back to: Do we have to be Christian to to experience God in heaven? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe that NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, you're asking the Christian pastor. You, you're, you're leading me into the trap. <laughs> oh, I, I don't mean to lead you into a trap. No, I'm, I'm totally, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But, but, but there is something. I think, so... I think some of us have been burned by Christians who have not understood the the magnitude of the grace of God, um, and and as a result have have led people to believe that that God doesn't care about anybody but us. That's not true, and I'm showing that in the very first three chapters. Um, it's called God of All Nations. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but, but the, uh, the other side of it is what these people experience. So for instance, um, Santosh Akarchi was this Indian, uh, manufacturing engineer. So again, very smart people who traveled the world doing engineering, but he was raised in Hinduism. His dad was a Sanskrit scholar. That was all he knew. The Hindu gods was all he knew. Mm. He dies. He hears code blue, his pancreas ruptured and, um, he hears code blue. They couldn't revive his heart, and they put him on artificial life support for three days. Three days later, when he comes back, he tells what happened. He left his body. He sees his body there. This brilliant light comes, and he knows it's a divine light. He says, and, and I knew this light had ultimate authority, and I had to do whatever it wanted. Hmm. He said, but I fell in love with this light. That was his first response. And then they go, they travel. And he said they it was like through tunnels, right? And and that's another one of the commonalities. But they come to this place where the light stops parked over what he describes as this giant compound. Now, I, I've been to India many times. And, and I, at first, I was like, what do you mean compound? It took me a while to figure out what he was saying. But in India, there are compounds, literally, like high-walled uh, areas, gated. And he said it was it was like that, but these beautiful walls, high walls, inside this beautiful, like, 
landscape, but um, mansions and buildings of otherworldly material. And, and it was square in shape, thousands of miles long. And he said, in, when you're there, your, your, your eyesight is like telescopic. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another commonality as well. Mm-hmm. But he said, and there were 12 gates. I counted them. Wow. And and outside the gates were angels. And that's when I realized I'm looking at the kingdom of heaven. And he said, all I wanted was to enter there. He said, I, I realized that's that's the goal of existence, to be there. Mm. So he experiences, and if you've ever read Revelation 21, uh-huh. and you look at his words, it's like that's what he's experiencing. Yeah. yeah. You know? And then he um He's like, where am I? And and again, this is a, an experience more real than he he said more real than anything we've experienced here. And and he says, where am I? And he looks and he's up on a like a high platform. And he looks down to his left and he describes an abyss. He describes hell. Hmm. And he's like, I want to go there. I don't want to go there. He turns and he sees who he describes as as God now in the appearance of a giant man on a throne. Mm. That's what he describes. Interesting. Okay. I know. I know. I didn't, I'm not making this up. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this is just what he told me. And, and he looks into his eyes and he gets a life review. Like he sees all of it, the good and the bad. And, and, and he, and he falls to his knees and he says, God, forgive me, forgive me. Cause he realizes all all the wrongs he had done. And then the Lord speaks to him and he says, I was shocked because there was such tenderness, such compassion, such mercy in his voice. And he said, I'm going to send you back. And when you go back, I want you to love your family, especially your daughter. She needs your help right now. Hmm. So see, this is, this is, this stretches everybody's categories, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, He's the God who is with us, all of us. And he knows everything intimately about everyone we interact with, and he cares about all of us. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. If you miss that, you miss the you miss the big picture. Right. But we can also reject him. And that's what Santosh was also seeing. And so then he sees right next to this throne what he calls a very narrow door that was open to me. And he could go into the kingdom of heaven. And he asked the Lord, he said, when I come back, and he said, because there was such mercy and compassion and love in his voice, I I started to relax. And I said, when I come back, how do I go through that narrow door? And the Lord said, and he was thinking about religion, like, what religion do I choose? What do I go to? Mm -hmm. You know, and he was thinking, which which temple or synagogue or church or do I go to? And the Lord said, what I want is relationship. Not one day a week, 365 days a year. How honest will you be with me? Hmm. How real, how sincere, how honest will you be with me? And then he said, he said, the wages of sin is death. Walk with me and surrender yourself daily to me. And then he sends him back. Two years later. His daughter is invited to sing in a choir at a church because she was a choral major. Santosh goes to hear her sing, and the pastor is speaking 
on the passage in John 10 where Jesus says, you know, or in Matthew 7 where he says, you know, I am the gate. I am the gate into the kingdom of heaven. And then John 10 where he says, you know, I'm I'm the gate and the sheep will come in and out. And Santosh goes and he starts reading the Bible and he's like, that's what I experienced. Interesting. Wow. Now, if that were one story, you go, eh, one story. But I'm showing just in the first three chapters, I and throughout, I've got I've got stories from people all over the world. Uh, Bibi, who is a Muslim related to the Prophet Muhammad living in Tehran, mm. who in her near-death experience experiences the same, the same almighty giant <laughs> in a robe and a beard, white hair though, right? Mm. That Santosh did, who says to her, I am he who is mm. in Farsi. Yeah. Okay. She can't speak English. So she told me this through a translator. Okay. And I was like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> I am he who is. Well, when Moses asked God, who am I to say sent me? You know, when he's to deliver the, this is in, in, in Exodus, God says, I am he, I am who is. Mm-hmm. I am the self-existent one. Yeah. Yeah. It's what Jesus said of himself before Abraham was born. I am. So she and and she also, you know, come comes to start following Jesus and then gets has to leave Tehran because um they were gonna kill her. Yeah. So I mean it's not all free everywhere, you know. And in, in fact, another another Muslim imam from Rwanda uh that I interviewed that's in the book, um, and is a fascinating story too. Awesome story. Uh, his mother was a Tutsi, his father was a Hutu during the Rwandan genocide. And it, it, you know, it drove their family apart. He ends up a street kid at eight years old, doing drugs, then dealing drugs. Then he becomes an imam in, in the mosque. And anyway, long story short, uh, he too, he dies of blood cancer. And he says, who who was there was a man like he saw in the movie The Passion of the Christ because he he got free movie tickets and he went to see The Passion of the Christ and he says he enters and he's he's in this white robe with a beard but light coming out of him like the sun but I could look at him and he shows me and he he sees holes in his hands and he says to him I died for mankind you are one of those I died for. Never deny it and tell everyone. Wow. And he's still in Rwanda, and he's now an Anglican priest, and he's had six attempts on his life. Oh, wow. Wow. What would convince someone to do that? Yeah. And I mean, you can you can go watch my my video interviews with him. And he's and and so so the point is all over the globe. Um, there's another another Indian man who um uh, Dr. Rajiv Parti, maybe you know. Yes, he's story. been in my program. Yeah. Oh, he has. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if he told you his whole story, but yeah, you know, he came. He came back confused too because it's like, why did these Christian angels bring me to this God of Light, who then later, when I ask, "Who are you, Lord?" says, "I'm Jesus, your Savior." Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But this is happening all over the globe. Yeah. And I and I'm I'm really glad that you're tying this back to to the Bible and stuff because and when I asked you the question, you know, Earl, I, I didn't mean to 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 lead you into a trap, but I do for a reason. Um I I'm I moderate a board on Facebook and just last couple of days, you know, people are telling me NDEs are not biblical. NDEs, you know, they're they're deceptions. Um, and then one guy I was telling, you know, about this, and he said, Well, I said something about a Catholic person. He goes, Well, Catholics are all deceived too. So these are these are some of the I've people. I've got a I've got a priest. I've got multiple Catholics who met the same God, and this guy became a priest because of his encounter right. with this God. Right. So and and so Brian, that's the thing that just is so difficult, you know. And that's what I'm trying to show. I'm trying to mm-hmm. show. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out there about God, and a lot of us, all of us, look, all of us misinterpret. You know, I'm not completely right. I'm not even claiming to be. You know, but if you but if you look at all the evidence, and that's what I'm trying to put. I'm trying to put the biblical evidence because I've studied it for three right. decades. Right. I'm also trying to put. I really think God is showing us in this global age of communication that He's the God of all nations, and He always has been. Mm-hmm. And and you know what what a lot of Christians don't understand. Jesus said this a lot. And, you know, you even like in, in Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 10, uh, you know, um, God basically reveals to, to Peter, he's the God of all nations. And he has Peter go to this um, Roman centurion. Well, they were idol worshipers. They were mm-hmm. the, the pagans, right? They were the outcast to the Jews. And Peter's like, I would never do that. Why would he never do that? Well, because his culture told him, God loves us, not them. Right, right. And he says, he, he, he realizes what God's telling him is, and he says this, it says, I now realize that God does not show favoritism. He accepts everyone from all nations, you know, basically he said, who, who fear him or seek him and do what is right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, in, in Imagine the God of Heaven, one of my favorite stories, a good friend of mine now, when, um, when I was on a, a um, New York National News show, she emails me afterwards. This is after Imagine Heaven. And um, she's a nurse. She was a nurse in L.A. Name's Heidi. And she said, hey, I saw you uh, on, on that TV show. I don't know who you are. I've never read your book. But that happened to me. Um, I was raised in an atheist agnostic Jewish family, but when I, when my horse landed on me and crushed me, I was up in the air with Jesus. I've never told anyone that. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) That's all she said. Wow. And so I was like, Heidi, we got to talk. And, uh, we've become good, good friends since then. But, um, yeah, what's fascinating and her, her stories in Imagine the God of Heaven as well. But what's fascinating is her dad had a mantra. And, um, you know, Brian, a, a, lot of, a lot of our animosity toward God and toward people comes from our own hurt unhealed. Mm-hmm. And you know that, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. I mean, even, even in grief work, um, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, just the, the, the pain of not working through griefs and stuff like that. And then, but um, her dad 
who was who was actually pretty abusive, uh, had a mantra: "There is no God. Your life is worthless. Jesus Christ is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind." Oh wow! And he told his three daughters that every night their whole growing up years while being abusive. Wow. Well, she always believed in God and she prayed to him every night. And she felt that she felt like she would pray to him and she'd talk to him about all these things happening. And she felt a comfort Hmm. in fact, she felt like he was there kind of rocking her to bed. That's Hmm. what she felt at 16. um, After, after going through her bat mitzvah and being raped by her rabbi, or being sexually molested by a rabbi, you know, I mean, you know, it's a pretty horrific story, but at 16, her, her, she's in a horse riding accident and her horse lands on her and crushes her. And she instantly left her body. She said that she was up 30 feet above the accident, watching her sisters freak out, but she felt great. And she said, my only concern was for my sisters. I knew I was dead, but I was great. But I just hated that they had to see me die like this. And then she sees a light over her shoulder, moves up, and there with her 30 feet in the air is Jesus. And he looks like you would think Jesus would look, except he's he's brilliant, but mm-hmm. she recognized him. And she said, I, I said, oh, hey. And she said, it was like, an instant reconnection. She said, I knew this man. I knew him. And she later said, I can't explain how God can be a light and God can be love and God can be a man, but that's what I experienced. Hmm. And Jesus gave her a life review. Remember she's 16, right? So he gives her a life review. And in the life review, first of all, they laughed, she said, their butts off. <laughs> like one thing that happened was when she was an infant in a crib and her mom, you know, put another infant in there and the infant picked up her little plastic rattle and whacked her on the nose. And and Heidi just like gets indignant and starts to cry and all that. And, and they just both burst out laughing because they knew she wasn't really hurt. She mm-hmm. was just mad, mm-hmm. right? But they could mm-hmm. tell all this. And she said, Jesus just loved to laugh. And and she said he was so fun. But he also showed her in her life review that when she was a young girl and she was praying to God every night, he was there. She saw him there sitting by her bed, comforting her in her life review. Wow. And, And I think that's what this shows is that you know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Mm-hmm. And this God of light also appeared to Moses, you know, 3,500 years ago as this burning bush that wouldn't burn the bush. Yeah. Right? This, this brilliant light that didn't burn, didn't burn the bush. And, and, and on and on, you know, you can, you can trace it through. And what I think this shows us is God has always been about drawing people back to himself. That's what he's doing. He, he, he's, 
the, the whole purpose of Jesus coming and dying on the cross was to make a way that we don't have to pay for all our wrongs. That God in his justice would be willing and able to both be just and to forgive anybody who wants him. Hmm. That's it. Yeah. Anybody who wants him. Yeah. If you want him and you want his love, nothing can keep you away from him because nothing can keep him away from you. Yeah. But here's the other thing is that he's with us already. He's with everyone already. Yeah. Now in different ways. Even the person who rejects him. And there are people in the book who he he said that to them. It's like in, in, in their life review, you know, he, he this one guy who um who was a medical executive and a CEO, and in Jesus' presence, he's getting this life review, and Jesus is showing him all these times he suffered as a kid. He suffered a lot. He was in the hospital, he had bad asthma, he was overweight, he was bullied. Mm-hmm. And he's showing me all that. And he says, Why are you showing me these things? And then he kind of had an aha and he said, Were you there with me? Even through all that, even before I knew you. And and Jesus looks at me and said, Yes. I was there waiting for you to turn to me. And and then a, a really cool thing is at a later point, he's just experiencing a similar kind of like ecstatic joy. Um, he's by, you know, he's he's by this river in, in heaven, this gorgeous place. And he's by this river and he drinks of this water. And he says, it's just like, like he again said ecstasy. <laughs> they, they say that. Mm-hmm. And then he 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 turns to Jesus, and Jesus is holding a flask, like a bottle. Mm-hmm. And he says, "What is that?" And Jesus said, "I've been collecting your tears, beloved." Mm-hmm. And then he pours them into the river. Mm-hmm. And Randy instantly knows he's returning all my sorrows for joy. Wow! I, yeah, I, and then I want ahead. to ask you this because you talked about. You mentioned something about even those who reject him. I think it was it was a phrase you used. Um, are you are you familiar with the work of Thomas Talbot? He wrote a book called The Inescapable Love of God. No. Okay, so he and he argues that if we knew who God was, and if we were in our right minds, having those two conditions, you could not reject God. And the God I hear you describing. The way the joy and, and and the love and the laughter, how could anybody possibly reject that? It's even better than that. Yeah. So I mean, Heidi, Heidi. So Heidi was a speed freak, right? She rode horses bareback and just loved speed. Mm. So they're up thirty feet in the air. After getting a life review, Jesus grabs her hand. I didn't even I didn't even tell I, I I went ahead and put it in the book, but in the end, because I figure if it's too soon, people won't they'll check out because mm-hmm. they won't believe it. Because that mm-hmm. was my first reaction, like, no way. He takes her hand and they take off. And she said at first we it was like we were going through Earth's atmosphere and then out into like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. universe, but they're going faster and faster. And she said we were. We were flying like Superman and Lois Lane, mm-hmm. but but being pushed by a wave of light. She said it was like we were surfing this wave of light, 
and I could feel that I was barefoot because I could feel it on my feet. And I reached in and I touched my hand to it. And I look over at Jesus and he's just grinning ear to ear. And he says, isn't this the coolest ever? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a lot of Christians who like right, right now are checking out like, no, that's, you know, God can't be like that. Right. Right. But he is like that. You know, Jesus, Jesus's last night on earth said, you know, I'm telling you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Right. And see what, what I go into in the book that I, I think many Christians miss is that everything we love, every wonderful experience, every pleasure, every adventure, all the things we love about life, we only do because he made us with the ability to love them. Yeah, exactly. And he actually enjoys us enjoying them. Right. I, I I love enjoying things with my granddaughters. You know? Right. If I give them a gift, I enjoy playing it with them and seeing them enjoying it. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm not better than God. Yeah, and that that kind of that, that kind of comes back to the title of the book that was mentioning. He calls it the inescapable love of God. It's like it's so attractive that no one in the right mind could turn away. I think what people reject is the the limited view of God that we have. That the God, the, the heaven that sounds boring, right? I don't yeah. want to go to a place where I'm going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp all day, singing singing songs for ten thousand years, and that's not it. And yeah. and and you know you you read the stories of these people and the and the eyewitnesses of these people all over the world and you realize okay they're either whacked and they're millions of whacked people but still like I said you know I put all that evidence like it doesn't make sense right unless right. there's something real here but what they say is it's more real now. What does that mean? I've, I've, as an engineer, I've thought a lot about that. And, and I think this is what they mean. So imagine if this, you know, we're living in three dimensions of space and one dimension of time. Mm-hmm. We can't even imagine a fourth dimension of space and a second dimension of time, five dimensions, right? I, we can't fathom it. No, you can't. But, but, but we can, and, and, we can understand it by analogy. So imagine this experience is being lived on a flat black and white painting on my wall and death means separation. So your soul leaves this three-dimensional realm. So your soul is peeled off that flat black and white two-dimensional realm where you only knew up and down and side to side. You didn't even know in and out. That's not a dimension you're familiar with at all. Mm -hmm. Now you come out and you're Two-dimensional self is now experiencing three dimensions and color in this room that was all around you, and you're contained within this bigger reality mm-hmm. that's more real. Then imagine being pressed back into that flat two-dimensional world and trying to describe three dimensions of color in black and white two-dimensional terms. Right, right. That's why the more uh, of these people I've interviewed, I've, I've realized they have to use hyperbole. That's why some of the people in, in the Bible who have also experienced the same thing, you know, there are a lot of them talking about what they saw or experienced in heaven. And it's always, it was like this, mm-hmm. you know? So the city was like gold, but transparent like glass. Right. Well, what does that mean? 
You know, well, when you hear a, a manufacturing engineer say, well, it was otherworldly materials. And then you hear both a spine surgeon and a commercial airline pilot who'd never read the Bible before talking about how it, it, it appears like, like glass or, or, or crystal, but it's actually light and love. Like this place is made of light and love. And they say, I know that doesn't make any sense, but that's what it was. And I'm, and I ask them, like, but was it real? Was it like physical and solid? Oh yeah, more than this. Right. Like hugs are like real. Oh yeah, much deeper than this. I mean, communication and thought and memory is all. This. Oh yeah, but you understand completely. It's thought to thought. Nothing's misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I, I know what I saw from one of the notes you sent me, and I love what, you, what this says is, um, uh, I'm going to find it. You said basically that the NDE kind of puts color onto what's kind of black and white, I think, in the in the Bible. And having this conversation with you, I can tell, and, and when you talk to people that have had NDEs as much as you have, it becomes infectious. And I can see it, I can feel it coming through you. And so you're you're making us well it's exciting yeah it's exciting and that's and that's the thing like i just i just wish everyone could know all the things you long for they are available mm-hmm. and the reason we long you know it's another another cs lewis quote you know if you have a thirst for something that nothing on on earth can quench it probably means we were made for something else mhm yeah, I love that quote by C.S. Lewis. I think it, which it, I just butchered, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it indicates like, yeah, we don't have a longing for something that doesn't exist. So he talks about these things that we long for that there, there's got to be a reason. We thirst why and we there's long water. Yeah, yeah, we we hunger and there's food, but we want a love that never completely satisfies. We want a peace that it comes and goes. We want a joy. We get little glimpses and then it's back to mundane. Right, and we picture that that's how heaven or God's going to be, but that's not it. It's that it's like these longings, these desires are good, but there's something missing. And that's, it's kind of like that homing device in birds that how do they fly thousands of miles and hit their target every year? Right. Well, it's like something in them knows what home actually is. And it just, it just points them there. Yeah, it just said that it reminded me of a woman I interviewed. She had a near-death experience when her husband murdered her, but she's mm-hmm. in she's in heaven and she's with her sister and they're laughing and, and she's like, it's just too much joy. She said it was just too much. It felt like, I felt like I was going to explode. I didn't I didn't know if I could contain all of it. And I've heard Five several people, people that I've interviewed in the book say that. Yeah. Said, I felt like I was gonna just blow up one guy. I love this. He's he's a, a an Australian lawyer, and he said. I was in God's presence and and it was like he was filling me up with love and joy so much I felt like I was I was going to burst and I thought I don't know if I can take anymore and he said he heard a chuckle from God and then it starts to go down and he said no no don't stop and then and then and then more but yeah again and again yeah Absolutely. Well, I uh, I really appreciate you having this conversation again with me today and uh, remind people the name of the book and where they can get it and where they can find out more about you. Uh, it's Imagine the God of Heaven, 
and you can just go, you can go to imaginethegodofheaven.net um, or johnburkonline.com. Um, we'll, right now, we'll take you to, to the same place. You can find out more, uh, more about it. John, again, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, thanks, thanks for sharing your your knowledge and your wisdom and your joy with my audience. Well, it's it's not my joy, and everyone everyone can have it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, see you, Brian. Hey there, if you liked this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.